because you are not your rank. So even if they take the uniform away, your rank away, like they can take your paycheck away, like you are still like amazing regardless. And so much of them, and this was me, I didn't know who I was beyond the rank. I had no legacy beyond the uniform. And this person's sole identity is camouflage. And it's like, they're getting ready to take away their identity or taking away the occupation and forcing a medical retirement. But it's like, you are a living, breathing miracle. I mean, the fact that you can breathe on your own, you can talk, you can talk without an oxygen tank or, you know, without, you're not in hospice. Like you're a living, breathing miracle. You don't need validation. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Leader Set Trends podcast. I know I missed you all too, but as I've shared, your girl has been so focused on knocking out this master's degree, and I can say officially on May 7th of 2022, I will be walking across the stage. Yes, I'm so excited. Ah, So that has been my focus, right? I still have a couple things I need to knock out, So, and I have some goals I am finalizing, so that's why you have some spaces in between episodes, but trust me. I'm still here with you all. You'll get more frequent ones once I get around this corner in May. Um, so no worries. I'm here with you. I'm just knocking out these goals and I hope you all are executing on yours too. But on today's episode, we have Richie Thomas. So although we have the same last name, we're not related, but he is a fellow game changer, you know, a homie, someone that is out there leading the charge and helping military members transition. And as someone who has transitioned out the military, he has, and someone who has, um, who is in, we have this great dialogue about transition programs that the military services have and how they can improve it. And also about identity issues and how positions and titles, how our identities can get so wrapped up in that that it can cause us to forget who we are. Can anybody relate to that? I know I can, okay? So you might think that this conversation might not have anything to do with you because you're not a service member. No, it does. Because there might be a transition program you want to implement. Maybe you are someone that is interested in that this talent pool because just because they have worn a uniform does not mean that they can bring some awesome, awesome things to your organization. Oh yes, we can, right? Maybe you just wanna get some insight. You wanna hear different stories out there because it might really allow you to understand what is going on out there. So get tuned in, get tapped in, get your notepad, your note-taking material, and let's get into today's message. But welcome again. I am Aisha Thomas. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you all as we talk about military transitions. Um, again, a, a conversation, an area that's near and dear to my heart because I am a service member. I serve in the United States Air Force and I'm here with a special guest. And although we have the same last name and we are family, right? We're family, but we're not related by blood. We just happen to have the same last name. I'm really excited to have the soldiers coach on here with me um, because he can relate to this conversation. And I'm going to have him introduce himself because he does this work and he supports um, service members across all components, all branches in this transition, because we recognize that this isn't just a physical transition, right? This isn't just a career transition. There's also a psychological, there's also a mental um, transition as well. So we're going to have um, a, so a great conversation, even our own personal transition. Um, and I'm still serving, so I'm preparing for a transition. And even the lessons that I learned, I'm serving in a special duty as a career advisor and the conversations I've had with fellow military members about prepping for or, you know, life outside of the uniform. So welcome, Richie. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the, the opportunity to be on the platform. This is a real pleasure. Thank you. Yay, yay. So tell the people about yourself. What are you doing? How are you impacting service members? And then transition into your story. How is, like, how, how are military transitions something that's important to you? And how did you even get into that space of supporting other service members? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Uh, once again, everybody, my name is uh, Richie Thomas, a soldier's coach, and I help our brave men and women in the United States Armed Forces uh, men mentally transition from a soldier's mindset to a business professional's mindset, because there are five big enemies, if you will, that plague the veteran community, and they go as follows. Unemployment will always be the first, second, and third biggest enemy, um, even before, during, and after COVID. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the second biggest issue was homelessness, followed by mental health, which often leads suicide. And number four and five are physical injuries and lack of education. So those are five big issues in the veteran community. 
And I got exposed because I could check four out of the five boxes when I decided to transition out of the Army, active duty, airborne, of course, um, back in 2007. And I walked into the Great Recession, very similar to the times where we are right now with COVID, um, with you know, minus the mental, or excuse me, the medical emergencies and impacts of COVID. But as far as the economic impact that we've experienced with COVID, we went through that in 2007. And ironically enough, that's the same year I got out of the Army and it was a nightmare. I was unemployed the first 30 days I got out of the army and then I got a gig and then was laid off like nine months later and was unemployed for like 15 months. Um, so I feel like sometimes you get exposed to something because you were meant to do something about it. So when I got to a point in my career from an IT standpoint, I got into IT and you know, built a career from the ground up for those 10 years, um, I started to create content for people um, who are where I was, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to build a platform and content for those transitioning out because I just felt like the transition assistance programs were not really where they needed to be. So I just wanted to be an aide, a coach, a teacher, a servant uh, to those getting ready to transition out of the military, regardless of what branch they were in, because I just, the programs need a lot, a lot of support. And as you pointed out, Aisha, most of it, I feel, if not 90% of it is mental because we, we see ourselves and we sell ourselves and we brand ourselves to the marketplace as soldiers. The soldiers don't get hired, business professionals do. So I love wow. what you and Aisha to already kind of start, you know, I think you said you've got what, two, three years left in the Air Force, but you've already have a serious, serious, you know, uh, red carpet, if you will, uh, for your next phase of your career. But I hope others can kind of mimic what you're doing already. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for sharing your like your personal experience, because sitting in the seat of career advisor and um, for those there might, you know, again, who's watching, you might not serve specifically in the Air Force, um, but there might be similar positions in the other branches. But I had an opportunity to support a special duty as a career advisor. And within that role, you support um, individuals that are in that space where there could be potentially transitioning or they are transitioning. And I heard a lot of stories and I was in a lot of retirement ceremonies or saw the preparation for retirement or separate where it might be medical or um, someone decided that, you know what, my ETS is coming up, meaning that, you know, my, my term of service is coming up and I'm ready to go because maybe they were unhappy with their organization. But it was something that I saw that that was a pattern. Once that individual got closer to that separation date, even it, it was interesting because it was like, I, I would see Prior to, you know, you would think that, especially when it came to officers, you would see them and you look at them like they're on this, I won't say pedestal, but again, they're officers, you have 06s and generals and individuals that are in these high positions and you saw a different person show up when the transition was happening. And I was so surprised. You saw anxiety show up. You saw doubt, you saw fear, you saw hesitation, you saw procrastination, you know, paperwork that, sir, um, um, that paperwork uh, I inquired, or I sent an email a few times about, um, just a reminder. And again, you know, you, you might be supporting a, a team member that might be like, oh, ma'am, can you help me talk to a general? Or can you hear me talk to Colonel so-and-so, Lieutenant Colonel so-and-so? Because there's paperwork that's required and they have to support or they have to have it um, submitted because I, I work closely with the personnel team there um, at the military processing site. And they were, you know, they had deadlines and you saw how uncomfortable it was for them to submit that information. And it was the transition. And they were going through interviews and job searches. And again, they built this career on the military side, but how they showed up or their level of experience, it just didn't correlate the same. And you saw how from interview after interview, hearing no, and they're like, listen, I'm a general. Listen, I'm a senior master sergeant or I'm an E9. And I've, listen, look at all, look at my awards. Like, look at all the things that I've accomplished. What do you mean I'm not qualified? What do you mean that I have to start off as a GS7? Like, what do you, what do you mean? I have to, I have to do what? And you saw it show up in, you know, the, the, that confidence that they once had, it, it waned. It, it went on the total different side. So you saw like the, the just change in, the attitude. Um, and it surprised me. And it was an awakening for me that I want to do it different. 
is the transition, uh, we call it TAMP um, in the Air Force, um, and it might be the same in the other branches, but it's a transition um, assistant program that individuals go through. And I've heard about it and I've sat through just watching the sessions and I'm like, are they preparing um, individual service members, even mentally, right? Um, of course, you know, we've heard situations of like sports um um, individuals in sports, how their transition is tough, right? And they navigate like this identity shift. And I'm like, well, have we considered incorporating something like that, a personal development type of aspect for our service members as well? Because there is a identity shift that's happening. There is, hey, I've built and I've sacrificed and I've been to these deploy locations. I've sacrificed for this country and now I'm going on this other side. And what do you mean that I have to start from the bottom? What do you mean I can't get the same level of respect? What do you mean these awards and these decorations don't mean anything to you, ma'am? What do you mean? And um, that can that can do a lot to someone as they're transitioning. So that was an awakening for me. And I knew for me, that's why um, this, again, red carpet experience. That's why even for me, I technically have two years left in the books. However, who I might decide to stay longer than that. But I I started a couple years ago, my transition plan. What can I do to start building my business? Where am I on my education? I'm about to finish my master's in another semester. I have everything planned out already because I don't want my transition to look like that. But there's some things that I think that they're still needed as far as that transition. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, and again, you're working with individuals on a regular basis, but I think a year is too late. I think sometimes I think two years is too late. Again, some people already have a good plan, but I'm like a year, you need more time to transition. So Aisha, you know, we all have goals and dreams and a vision board. Hopefully y'all have a vision board, but one of mine is to speak to the secretary of defense, the secretary of veterans affairs, grab him or her by the shoulders and shake them. And so they change the transition assistance program. So you're not crazy or alone. Everything you said was dead on. But the reason um, this will continue to be a problem for all services, all branches, um, it is all mental. And, you know, sending people to a seminar or a workshop and having the, you can have the greatest resume writer in the world write your resume, but then they're going to send you to a job interview and you might bomb the interview. You might, you know, interviews, you know, people to people having a conversation, but soldiers are trained for combat and not commerce. Soldiers are trained for battle and not business. Soldiers are trained to fight, 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 and they're not trained for finances. And contrary to what people may believe, like America does not run on Duncan, America runs on the dollar. And since we were not trained to deal with the dollar, hence why unemployment is so big, because we're walking into a fight, we were not prepared to fight. We were not, we don't have the strategies, the tools, the system, the structure. We were trained for combat and not commerce. And so we're being essentially, uh, I would say intentionally, I think this is unintentionally set up for failure, but I think we need to start the transition assistance in basic training, radical idea. (laughs) But I want people to start mentally transitioning out the same day they transition in, because the reality of it is you sign a contract. I don't care if you're one of them crazy ass Marines, Air Force, Army, Navy, doesn't matter. Shout out to the Space Force. (laughs) But eventually, your contract has an end date. So whether you do five years, 10 years, 25, what even I think 44 is the cap, eventually your contract will expire and you cannot be in the military. You can't wear the uniform forever. But mentally, in America, we teach you that your occupation becomes your identification. So you take away the uniform, take away the rank. You don't know who you are beyond the rank. And in the civilian world, they don't give a damn what your rank is. A 22-year-old kid changed the world. His name was Mark Zuckerberg. He didn't graduate college. He dropped out. No one cares what his rank is. No one cares what his GPA was. No one cared about his, you know, his attendance. The records, the wall, the awards, they don't mean nothing to business if you don't know how it impacts business. And soldiers were not trained for business. We were trained for battle. So my hope and prayer is like, listen, if you can't answer these three questions, your unemployment, your uh, chances of unemployment might be a, a little bit larger than the others. If you don't know how to help a business make more money, save more money, 
or save time, that's like the entry level exam. That's all the three things you need to know. How do I help a business make money, save money, or save time? They need to start teaching that in basic training <laughs> because once your contract ends, how are you going to help, you know, whoever you plan to go work for? And soldiers weren't trained for that, regardless of uh, which branch of service is. I mean, actually, when was the last time you took a business class that was sponsored by the Air Force? Now, when, they, when was the last time you y'all go to a rifle range or a motor pool, but when's the last time you took a business one-on-one class that was actually mandatory by the United States Air Force? I mean, your comrades, you know, other folks in your in your unit, like when's the last time they took, you know, a marketing class, a sales class, a finance class, all about the bottom line and, and business? Now, that was a real question. If anybody's watching this on the chat, like drop it in the chat below. Like, I'm really curious, like if you're actively in the military right now, when was the last time you took a business class that was sponsored by the military, not on your own, you know what I'm saying? So I think they have to start doing the transition assistance. Like two years is way too late. Like I'm telling you, it needs to be the first year. You need to start already having an exit strategy that year, first year in. Like to me, anything after a year, you're already behind because it's just the mental pieces that you haven't been exposed to um, is my biggest concern. Yeah. And I mean, you raise a good point because again, although I've made it to 18 years and I've got it, I mean, again, I never expected myself to get to the rank that I've gotten, but one of the things that I saw as a trend is that, uh, within normally at the E4, E5 rank, a lot of transitions were happening at that point. Now, again, there's a multitude of reasons you're still young and you're like, man, I'm so tired of this routine and this, I'm ready to get out. Right. And again, sometimes I'm just like, young man, young woman, don't leave. You think it's good out there on the, on the side of the, on the, on the other side, the grass looks greener, but trust me, those health benefits you're getting all those perks. It looks totally different on the civilian sector. It looks so different. So I get it. Don't forget I know. Tax. Don't forget impact tax. Or, <laughs> That that almost I don't almost, say that evil word. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh. One check. Your second check is allowances don't get taxed. VAH doesn't get taxed. VAS mm. doesn't get taxed. Combat pay doesn't Oof. get taxed. You get paid every check. Uncle Sam getting his cut. Just exactly. Listen, finances, I mean, they take a huge cut. Um, and I had an opportunity. So I'm in a very unique spot. So I'm at AGR. So I'm an Air Guard Reservist, right? So that means my experience has been on more on the reserve side. So although I am active, right? And that's a whole nother conversation because some people don't even like experience that aspect of the military where you can be full-time. This is your full-time position, but you are serving a reserve mission. Um, so I have been able to experience living on both sides in one time and one season of my career where I have had the civilian experience while also serving as a reservist. So I had my foot in and still knowing that, okay, I needed that full-time job. I needed to have that um, experience where I had a, that civilian job on the side and still being acclimated to that. And then going to my, um, you know, my drill weekends. But then I made a decision. I was like, you know, what? I like this military life. I like, I enjoy this. I want to make this full-time. And then, you know, getting on long-term orders for years and years, and then having the opportunity to become an AGR. And this is something I've been doing for some time now. So I've been full-time for a multitude of time. And now they developed the AGR program where it's pretty much like active duty. You just continue and continue on until, um, you know, you reach that um, active duty time where you're, you can retire. So my situation is really unique. And it's funny because reservists get clowned all the time. But again, our, we see things from a different lens because again, we are, we go in from the lens of being a basically a, they call it like a civilian airman, meaning that we have two identities. We have the civilian career and we also have the military career. So we know how to balance the two, but you have active duty members that again, it's like that is their life for X amount of time. So for a pocket of time, I worked for a program called Palace Chase. So we would have individuals who would put in a request to say, I want to separate the military because of what, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons. And it was so hard because you had to remain biased you had to read the justification. And I read a lot of these justifications. And again, I kept thinking, oh, I need you to really, I want you to rethink this because just like you said, the financial hit, um, a lot of them wanted to do it because again, they were like, listen, I want to start a family. Um, I don't like this, um, the instability, right? Because again, you were 
um, typically in the AGR program, you choose where you want to go next. Hey, my next assignment, I get to pick up and go and I apply to go to this next location versus the active duty program. You're told where to go. Mm-hmm. And there are instances where you can apply for positions, but you are told more often than not. Right. Um, so they didn't like the instability of it. And it's like, I get it. I understand the stability part, but then you, you recognize, I'm like, man, these taxes, these benefits, all these other aspects that can cause a lot of stress to the family dynamic, to that individual. And we know like, you know, the aspects of the suicide rates that are skyrocketing, or I want to say skyrocketing, because that's a, that's a, that term is a, uh, that's, that's a, that's a serious term, but they have, um, increased within, um, the components of the military. And that is, again, another stress factor that could cause someone to really become stressed out and really down and out. And you talk about homelessness and all the different things that our service members are navigating when they do get to the other side. And again, you, you have to remain biased, but I would read those and I'm just like, man, you don't even realize what it's like on the other side. And then you'll see later on individuals like, you know what, I came and joined the Air Force Reserve. Even during COVID, it was so interesting how so many retirement packages and so many separation packages were pulled back because they were like, oh, there's so much instability happening in the civilian sector. I know that in the military, there is more security on this side. It was so fascinating to watch that. So, I mean, what you're saying is so, so important because that, again, there are missing components on the side of, you know, we ingrain and when individuals join the armed forces, Again, I think about my, we call it basic training experience. It's like you go from like this mindset shift from civilian to now war fighting machine. But although we are being shifted into this is the mission, this is the focus, is that piece, that, that, that part about you being unique, the you part, is that part being removed? And do we still need to um, connect that part? And I shared this um, post with Richie. Um, I was going to share this, my screen so you guys can read it, but this is, it, I mean, I cut off where it's posted, but I just, I was like, I'm not going to share where the, the verbiage of it, but however, there is this Facebook group and I love it, right? Because this is a platform where individuals can post about um, their experiences in serving. And before I get to that, I'm going to go back to you, Richie, and just um, ask if you actually had anything else you wanted to share before I read this post that was made no. um, on any last points I made in at all. No, I mean, I think you were dead on. I'm, the only thing is, you know, you said, do you disappear when you, you know, join the military? And I, I think that's absolutely correct because they don't, they, in the military, they teach you don't be a superstar. Don't be a hero. Don't market yourself. Don't promote yourself. And if it ain't about the mission, it's not important. And we lose our identity, um, you know, really in our occupation. So I just, I pray people be careful um, and be very intentional that they, they don't lose themselves in the uniform and in the rank. But now go ahead and share this article. I'm really excited to, to kind of jump into this because uh, it just really sheds a, a spotlight on, on several big issues. Several, several. Yeah. Okay. Um, so th- there's this uh, Facebook page and I love it because again, there have been awesome um, uh, service members and vets that have created these channels for individuals to um, share resources, discuss their issues, support one another. And for this one that I'm a part of, you have an officer, he's a major or she, because it, it's anonymous. So we don't know if it's a he or she. So forgive me if I say he, she, or what, whatnot, but they posted, um, well, they actually um, placed this in the inbox and they wanted to be anonymous. So it was it, it shared in the group. And then within the comments, you have all these service members in there just showing love, support. They're like, reach out. They're given resources. And there's so many pieces in this. Um, and as someone that does leadership development and does, again, still supports service member, because as a service member, I have team members that I'm supporting in transitions. I mean, a part of what I do in, again, in organizational development and leadership development does have a lot to do with uh, transition plans and development and even personal and professional. Um, but there's so many layers to this post that whew, it, um, it, it was really powerful to read. Um, so it says, I'm headed for an intensive outpatient program as a self-referral that will last 30 days or more. I'm a major infected for command and I'm watching my career slip through my fingers as I struggle to work through PTSD. So they have post-traumatic stress disorder. I've had some recent issues at work dealing with a civilian that has found ways to exacerbate 
my symptoms with unprofessional behavior and communication. I have asked the commander for help dealing with this person and those requests have been ignored. I'm alone working with IG and EL for help, but trying to focus on recovery. It's been a nightmare. The leadership in this unit has been allowed to get away with toxic behavior because everyone is afraid to come forward in fear of retaliation. I can't do anything more for this group other than what I have done. And now I'm facing IOP, which is ter terrifying. I'm broken and in need of support to rebuild. I've been told my symptoms would be easily or would easily lead to medical retirement, but I can't get my brain around not being active duty. Mm. How do I move forward from here? How do I stop caring about the injustices of what I have endured under this leadership and focus solely on the opportunity for healing that I have been given? I'm over halfway towards retirement and it's hard to imagine throwing in the towel at this point, but I can't go on and I am not sure I would be off any use, be, uh, excuse me, be of any use for deployments right now. I've been on a few and I know I can't handle it in my current state. Can 30 days really fix something this severe? Am I going to remain broken as long as I'm active duty until I retire or succumb to my anxiety and depression? How do I know when, when to stop forcing this and just go with whatever is going to happen? What is it like on the other side if I'm not active duty and I have to find a new identity? My family needs me and I couldn't possibly go through with anything as final as suicide. But I'm so tired and I could see an easy way out of just falling asleep and never waking up. Has anyone been there? Any advice from anyone that has had to face a med board or medical retirement? Mm. So when I sent this to you and you read this, what stood out to you um, is so many, so many layers, so many layers to this. So many layers and I did respond and I put just so, just oh, so many layers, but we'll start. So what, what was it that stood out to you? What were your perspective on this post? Yeah. Trendsetting leaders, stay tuned. We'll be right back with the other half of this message. I am so happy that you have tuned into this podcast because you're getting the tools and the strategies to help transform yourself, your organization, your institution, or to prepare you for leadership. But let's take it a bit further. As a organizational learning, development, and leadership consultant, I help train and develop leaders to improve their performance, resiliency, and diverse, with a capital D, talent management. So what are you waiting for? Set up a consultation with me now so we can talk about what you can do to create that long-term development plan to really ensure that your company, your organization, or even as you prepare for leadership is on target. If you go to my website, AishaThomas.org, go to the area where you can schedule a consultation and meet with me, and we will get you started on the path of being that transformational, trend-setting leader. I had to read this about three or four times to really process what was going down. I mean, from piss poor leadership at the base to, you know, uh, I don't even know where to start. But the one thing that really pulled me, obviously, was the suicide comment. But he said, I don't know. He or she said the identity piece, my mindset around not being a soldier anymore. And I was like, oh, wow, you like you all the way in and said the Matrix but you're, you, you can't, when you look in the uniform, this person bleeds camouflage, right? Their heartbeat is probably tattooed in camo. Um, and I think that's the scary part for me because it's, even if it wasn't as severe as this, when that person looks in the mirror, they see themselves, sell themselves and brand as soldier. And it's like, again, it's not even the unemployment that is as big as the mental health and IE suicide this person's already talking about having you know ptsd from i think from deployments if i'm not mistaken and it's like you add that those uh, mental health issues on top of you know pending unemployment if they're getting out and getting ready to be medically tran um, transitioned out and medically retired and, and then you compound the mental health piece of that and then just the soldier's lifestyle of the you know deployments and ptsd i mean this was a recipe for disaster i was actually really sad that it was anonymous because i wish i could see you you know, talk to this person and grab them and like, let's come up with a strategy ASAP because you are not your rank. 
So even if they take the uniform away, your rank away, like they can take your paycheck away, like you are still like amazing regardless. And so much of them, and this was me, I didn't know who I was beyond the rank. I had no legacy beyond the uniform. And this person's sole identity is camouflage. And it's like, they're getting ready to take away their identity by taking away the occupation and forcing a medical retirement. But it's like, you are a living, breathing miracle. I mean, the fact that you can breathe on your own, you can walk, you can talk without an oxygen tank or, you know, without, you're not in hospice. Like you're a living, breathing miracle. You don't need validation through occupation. And I just think that's so scary because at least this person was brave enough to post that anonymously, but I just, it makes me scared how many other soldiers, sailors, how many folks are in the military still going through this, even the ones who've already gotten out. I mean, we have over a million veterans through the country. Like, you know, they've been in the military for 20 years. They, maybe they've been out for a decade, but they still see themselves as soldiers and they don't know how to ask for help because they were trained to fight, be warriors, be soldiers. And it's almost, you know, weak to ask for help. So I applaud this person um, for at least posting that, but I, I, I was heartbroken that I couldn't talk to them and really, really get to them, you know, on a one-on-one, but I would just love to kind of prevent this to the other bases out there, because I don't know how many others are struggling um, in silence. Yeah, and posts like this are being our norm here. I mean, just from toxic leadership to the the identity piece. I mean, that part is so powerful, like you said, um, because again, the culture, right? And I've seen a culture shift. Again, I joined in 2003. And um, I remember, again, it was about shut up in color, <laughs> do what it's like, do what it's told. And regardless of what you guys think about the Air Force, you know, it was rough in these streets, all right? It was different. It was a different type of culture. But then I saw the shift. And um, I worked in an organization prior to, and we supported the MTIs, and we were able to get a tour of the um, the the basic training, like the um, the barracks and all that kind of stuff. And they told us about these timeout cards, and I was like, "Say, say what? Say timeout cards? And what? The basic training? Timeout? Timeout? What?" They're like, yeah, so if the uh, trainees, they call them trainees, if the trainees need a um, timeout, if they need to just, you know, hey, tap out, need a moment, they can um, throw these out and they can, I was like, well, what? Like, that was different for me. Like, we didn't get no timeout. It was, it was on and popping, like, all the time. That was new for me. I'm like, what? But I realized, again, even as someone that is emotional and, an, excuse me, someone that is an emotional intelligence practitioner and talk about it, that has been embedded in the leadership competencies. That is something that's going to be a part of the, um, you know, grading scale or how uh, feedback sessions are going to be added as far as, okay, are supervisors considering their EQ and how they're showing up for their team members? And I love that now because, again, we don't recognize how, emotions and quote unquote being soft in this aspect of it, how it does impact someone saying, Hey, I need help. Hey, I am struggling. Hey, I need, because he says, or she says, you know, my family needs me. Right. I, I, I don't know. Like I'm so tired. There are a lot of words being utilized in here that show that feelings and their things that they're navigating, they're having an internal battle. And thank goodness there's this platform that is available, you know, there's spaces like this now, like, okay, let me open up. But again, anonymous, I don't, there's still like a level of uncomfortability. Like, I don't even feel comfortable enough to say who I am for a multitude of reasons, especially as leaders. And I say this with leaders all the time, how beautiful vulnerability is. But again, when you're in that leadership role, it's like, all right, I have to show up. I have to show up a certain way because I don't want to seem weak, look weak, because I have to lead um, from the front. And um, even in a leadership role, there is a level of vulnerability that I want to show so I can normalize it with my team. I just had a conversation with um, my team recently, right? So we did a, we did a training for my team our, uh, to show like our systems and our processes. So shout out to my team. They are just, they kill it. Like they, we have been through so many ups and downs. People have had COVID, people have lost family members. They have just, we've been through it all, right? It's like we're twins and they talk about twins, feel the same things. It's like we go through the same things. So we have this training and a lot of us are working virtually. And the thing about some of my team members, they push through the, the worst of the worst, but I, I, I create an environment where it says, if you need help, say it. 
So we're on this training and it's now in this training, I set it up where all of us are going to share because I want the new uh, faces of the um, organizations to see and, and be introduced to everyone on my team. So one of my team members goes up and they're sharing and they're like coughing after every sentence. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I didn't even know like you were this sick. Like, why don't we talk on the phone? You must hold it in. Or maybe we're talking at a time where your medicine has kicked in. So my chief is texting me and I'm just like, ma'am, you're thinking the same thing. I'm going to jump in. So I jump in and you can tell that she was like, ah, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> like she was disappointed. So I had to call her and another team member. And I'm just like, listen, when I say, do you need support or take time? I really mean it. And I, as I was um, at the end of the training, I wanted to make sure I highlighted my team because they have, again, we've been through a lot, but we still show up and we execute. And sometimes customers and organizations don't see that. They just say, where is this? Where is that? Not realizing we've been through so many ebbs and flows in so many different ways, especially um, being a, um, the amount of organizations we support in the national capital region we manage the most organizations in the, in the entire, I mean, out of our headquarters, we manage the most, we're the busiest, but they don't see that. They just like, listen, I need this paperwork done, or I need this email answered. So I wanted to make sure I highlighted them in front of everyone. And I was about to use the word of resilience, but I had to pull back because I'm a, a master resiliency trainer. And I learned this lesson from going and doing, shout out to my sister. We did this resiliency trainer training for um, nurses and um, those in leadership positions in New York. And they said, I'm tired of hearing the word resilience. And it was fascinating. And they said, the reason why is because in some of their workspaces is being used to kind of guilt them to push through and work. So like, say they're like, listen, I need a break. I'm tired. Their boss might be like, but you're resilient, push through. So in their mind, they're hearing resilience from push past it all where resilience is really shout out to coach Kendall, Kendall Ficklin. We say balance, but he says rhythm, right? Rhythm. So he said it's about finding rhythm and resilience is really embedding all of the components, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, and finding a balance of that, right? As well as supporting your mission and so on, not pushing past to the point of breakdown. So as I was about to say resilience, I had to stop myself because I, I had to tell myself, I don't want these organizations to see resilience as showing up on a call and briefing, briefing and coughing after every second versus saying, ma'am, I need a break. So I had to talk to my team. I said, don't ever do that. And I was saying it out of love. I was like, I need you to accept help. And I said, we, for some of us, because of culture, our experiences, all we've been through, sometimes the culture of the organizations, and I'm speaking to leaders right now, right? I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, have we created cultures and, and spaces where we are telling our team members that we might not mean it, right? Maybe just, we don't even know, uh, it might be unconsciously. We're telling them to push themselves beyond what they are, or we're even doing it because we have to lead by example. And now they think they have to push themselves. So I said, I had to stop myself from saying resilience because resilience doesn't mean that you're supposed to show up and be sick, dead sick and still briefing. No, I need you to say, okay, ma'am, you got it. And I do have it, right? If I had to do the whole briefing by myself, I do not care because I want you to take care of yourself because I know behind you are four kids. I know there's a husband. I know there's family members. I know that you are doing amazing on this team and I need you to be okay. We got it. I know that when my nephew passed away, you guys had my back. I have your back. Let me have your back right now. So I said, I need you to, outside of even the workplace, learn how to accept help. And I, it was beautiful how my leadership took that message. They had a conversation. And then by the end of the week, we had these huddles, you know, Hey, you know, I had a conversation with so-and-so resilience. This is what it should look like. So as leaders, we need to make sure that we are creating toxic, excuse me, we're not, if we see toxicity in the workplace that we're addressing it. And then if we are also creating environments where just like Richie was sharing, okay, I don't know if we can make it mandatory, 
or whatever, or if we can, if we're in those decision-making rooms, can we make these things mandatory where we can learn or we can um, ensure that our team members are learning to separate their identity? There is me, Aisha, as an individual, a mother. I have roles that I, or hats that I wear that represents the roles. But Aisha isn't just an airman. I'm not. I'm not just a mom. (laughs) I'm not just a sister. I'm not just org and development trainer, coach, consult. I'm not just that. And you hear in this message, like, I don't know what I will be without active duty. So this individual, this major is willing to push himself or herself to the max, even with PTSD. I'm not going to retire even through all of this because they're like, I don't know who I will be without it, but there's a family behind it. There's so many other people behind it. Like, how different would this be if his workplace or her workplace issues were addressed? How different would it be if the culture was different? How different would this transition be so different? Would we even have this post if the culture was different? And I know I just went on a whole rant, but I'm going to tap you back in because, again, this was just, it's been something that has been driving me since I, I literally seeing how people were transitioning and how they were, how they were navigating it. I was like, oh no, I have to, again, for me, do better in my transition, but I have to make sure everybody I encounter, they start working a plan of transitioning and learn how to separate their identity between service member hat. But when I take this hat off, I am, put your name under this blank. Yeah, no, I mean, you were dead on. And I, 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 yeah, again, I just wish I could grab this person, call him, hug him, love on him, support him, do whatever I can to be there. But I think you were dead on there when you, I mean, you mentioned even how helpful is this person? How can you help people when you're hurting? You know what I'm saying? It's like the you get on an airplane and they put the oxygen mask. I mean, they tell you specifically, you put your mask on first and then you put on the child's mask, and then you help someone else after you're in a position to serve. Like, you can't help people if you're hurting too, if you're struggling right next to them. This person's not even really, clearly not at 100%, not just in the workplace in the military, but even at home. I mean, married with kids, they mentioned, it's like, dude, pull back. I would just pull back from work. I wish you'd just take 90 days FMLA and just go get the help, love, support, counseling that you need. And I remember the fear that I, when I got out after six years with the army, I mean, all of my leadership, same thing. Like they were afraid for me. They were like, don't get out. This is the only paycheck. This is the only way that you can, you can do it. This, like, I was like, dude, there are more people not in the army than in the army. I don't know what they're doing, but they paying them bills. (laughs) Right. So there's clearly something out there to, there's some type of life outside the uniform, outside the rank. But here's the crazy part, Aisha, is even as a, I've been a civilian now for what, 13, 14 years, and even a lot of civilians, I work with AT&T, we had engineers been at AT&T 20, 30 years. I'm at a company now where same thing, they've had people at the beginning of jobs 20, 30 years, and I still see the same thing in the civilian world. Like people are so tied. I mean, if you look at any kids in kindergarten, what do you ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? It's not who, it's what. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a soldier, a teacher. And it's like, they keep teaching you your occupation equals identification. So kudos to you, Aisha, if you're already teaching, you know, your your unit there that they need to have the multiple hats, uh, multiple identities, um, because occupation is it's just a nine to five. It's literally just a nine to five. And I would encourage, you know, big thing you can find your identity. It's like, what are you drawn to? What do you, what, you know, what's your vibration? Like, what do you do? What's your hobbies? Like, how can you build a brand, a business around what you love to do? Like, if you love to fish, like, we can't start a business around fishing. Like, if you love to, you know, my mom's a big, she's got a green thumb, loves to be in the garden. I tell her all the time, start your own landscape company or, you know, personal gardener or something like that. But find, can we find profit in passion? That's what I would ask anybody in the military. Can we find a way Write that down. Profit Profit and passion. Do you said that before? Have you said that before? No, that was straight off the dump. Okay, I need you. Let me go ahead and put that on the side (laughs) because we we need to put that down. Okay, I'm sorry. Profit. 
Yes, yes. And as my coach Kendall would say, dramatically, let that breathe, right? <laughs> but I would encourage you guys, all of y'all, seriously, find a way to turn your passion into a profit because that's the way, that's what you're naturally drawn to. That's what you love to do. I was always great with IT and technology. I speak computer like like it's a, well, computer's a language to me. Like I just pick it up. So I was able to jump into IT really, really quickly after I got out of the military because that's, I was passionate about it. Even when I come home, I would always play with computers, um, but that just kind of came my thing. Um, but I would beg them too. you know, it's like, there's two things before they'll transition out. It's like, yo, find a way to own a business or a building. Those are the, you know, even the, the building piece is kind of like a, a two birds with one stone, if you will, because the unemployment is the biggest issue and mental health is number two, but homelessness is right up there because typically you lose your job, then you lose your identity, then you lose your home, and then they lose the will to live. So even, like I said, part of your transition plan, I was really, really encourage a lot of y'all try to jump in some real estate um, uh, you know, you could buy a duplex with your GI, with your um, VA home loan, live in one unit and rent out the other. That way, if you lose your job or you can't find one in unemployment, um, at least you have a place to live and you could rent it out. And that'll be additional income for you and your family. And that, you know, that need to, to go find a job won't be as urgent if you can have, you know, you know that your bills are covered through real estate. So own a business or own a building is my big two for transition, uh, uh, transition steps out. So what was your takeaway from today's episode? What stood out to you? And having this conversation, this piece about identity really stood out, really stood out. To read that piece about that service member who was literally navigating a serious mental health issue and regardless of the tier of mental health or stress that you're navigating, that's serious. And you heard from that message that, hey, I don't know pretty much like who I'll be without this title, this position. Like what, what else do I have on the other side? And, and of course, that's just me adding like that. Those weren't the specific words, but you know, that's what I gathered from that piece that we read. And it's the reality. There are a lot of people out there who have connected to their title so much that who they are to the core of them, they don't know who it is. I am Aisha Thomas and I wear multiple hats. I am mother. I am sister, I am friend, I am auntie, I am mentor, I am coach, I am a speaker, I am a teacher, I am a service member, I'm a supervisor, I'm a leader, I am a section chief, so many different titles. So many different hats. But to the core of me, I am Aisha. Aisha Thomas. And when I take those hats off, I'm okay with it. I still know who I am besides all that. Do you have a level of role awareness to know that, okay, these are the different roles I wear, but I can take this hat off and still know who I am to the core of it. And I know that if I hang this uniform up, business suit up, this nice, beautiful dress. And when I hang all these up, take these heels off, those nice shoes, that nice, great outfit that you have on, that uniform, whatever it is that you wear day to day, or whatever role that you're playing, that's a core of you, you know who you are. That is so important to know those different hats and know how to separate those different hats. And know the boundaries between the different hats, but know the core of you is a being, a soul, an individual that is not or is more than that title. But the reality is a lot of us have gotten wrapped up into those roles and those titles and those positions that it defines us, that without it, we feel like we don't belong. And I've been there as well. I have. 
So that part is so powerful. I wrote the second book, and this second book is really written more for women. It was kind of navigating me really learning, like loving myself after dealing with heartbreak. And I talk about this hat process in my book to really know how to have that level of growth awareness and really learn to support who you are. So I want to take this moment and have you do a check-in, a self-awareness check-in and ask yourself, has my role defined me? Does it define me? To the point where I feel like if I was to walk away from this position, I don't know who I would be. Why is that? Unpack that. Unpack that reason why. And realize that you're way more than that hat, that title, that role. There's so many depths to you. Outside of being a leader, there's so many depths to you. And a lot of the work of unpacking that and working through that, I did therapy. I really worked on understanding role awareness, knowing when to take those hats off and just be in this role. And just being able to be like, listen, I'm not wearing any hats today. I am just Aisha. I know who I am to the core of me. Right? I know who God made me to be. Who God says I am, right? Because again, the spiritual connection is important to me as well. So ladies and gentlemen out there, who are you? No, it's not leader. No, it's not CEO. No, it's not executive. No, it's not just that. Those are roles you wear part of the amazingness and the impact that you're making where you are at. Let's not forget the bombness and the greatness that you that you have, right? But to the core of you, you are say your name. Come on. You are say your name. I am Aisha Thomas. So while I have these hats, I know to the core of me that I am so much more. And even if I walk away from any one of these roles, I am still someone. And I am still great. Say that, affirm yourself, and continue to walk in this journey and find the coaches and the resources and the tools you need to help you through that, all right? And as always, if you want to reach out to me, please message me, info at AishaThomas.org. Shoot me an email there. I'm on all social media platforms, at Miss Aisha Thomas. But it first starts with you. It starts with you first. But of course, if you need resources, support, please reach out to me because again, it's important that your mental wellness and it's important that you get the support that you need to remember the amazingness that is within you outside of the roles that you have. You all be great and I'll see you on the next episode.